Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. You know the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? It's a book about the journey of life, its challenges and joys. It's my mom's go-to graduation gift for any high school senior because it gives you a perspective on life. And, well, one can draw a similar connection to birding, thinking about all the places that birds will take you and the challenges that you'll face and the joys of the birds and the places that you, you see and go. So whether you travel near or far, birding can take you to new places and draw you back into old favorites. And Crystal is a traveler who's joining me for this episode, and she really talks about some of the cool places that she's gone because of being a birder and all of the amazing things that she's seen. So a bird that she mentions is a song wren, which is a nondescript bird, but has an incredible song. It's a small bird, as most wrens are, and it's almost entirely brown, but is a bit paler around its breast with a chestnut throat and a few black wing bars and a short tail. And then the skin around its eyes is blue. So it's uh, it's unassuming, but it's also beautiful. There are six identified subspecies, each taking a portion of its range from Nicaragua south through Ecuador in lowland tropical forests. They forage on the forest floor. They toss leaf litter around and look for um, spiders and small invertebrates in pairs or in small groups. And you might hear their song, Fill the Forest Floor, which is described as clear, melodious whistles superimposed on harsh, hen-like clucking. They construct two different types of nests, breeding nests, and then dormitory nests for roosting. Nests are constructed year-round. The Spanish common name, Satore Canero, translates to undergrowth king melodious singer. They are a social bird and spend almost all their time in family groups made of two to five individuals and are generally within 20 feet or so of each other. So here's your song wren cocktail. It's one and a half shots of dark rum, half a shot of lime juice, two shots of pineapple orange juice, or if you just have pineapple juice and orange juice, it would be a shot of each. 
and four ounces of Coke. I have uh, Mexican Coke in some of my grocery stores, so I use that because it is very sugary <laughs> and ice. So directions, uh, fill a glass with ice, pour in the juices and dark rum, and then fill with Coke. So pretty simple. And this cocktail is kind of unassuming, like a song run. It doesn't look like much, but has a lot of flavor. When looking into song runs, I learned a new word. Let's see if I can pronounce it. Mellifluous, which means smooth, flowing, and melodious. And when trying to represent their song in this cocktail, I realized that in a cocktail, the complex flavors would have to suffice for a melodious sound. So there you go. Um, sit back and enjoy this chat with Crystal. Okay, well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Would you please tell everyone who you are? Hi, I'm Crystal. <laughs> I always introduce myself when I'm giving talks as some girl that they found birding on the side of the road. I was born in northern Wisconsin and grew up in northern Wisconsin and southern Minnesota. And so that's kind of where I got my start in enjoying nature being out with my grandfather in the woods and on the lake. And then it really just grew from there. That's awesome. So where do you live now? I live in central Texas. I moved to Texas when I was 16 years old. And I've been, I started birding more seriously about 15 years ago here in Texas and now all over the world. <laughs> so what's the, your favorite destination that you've been to? Columbia. That's cool. In the last four years, I've been five times and can't wait to go back. <laughs> so it must be a pretty easy flight then to get there if you go so often. Yeah, it's really not bad. From Texas, you just zip through Mexico City and you're on your way. Nice. It's pretty easy. So how long have you, so you said you've been birding since you uh, were younger, but how did you actually get started birding? Um, really, when I was little, my grandfather would take me out into the woods and he was kind of just general naturalist. So he, but he would show me birds and he could identify birds by call and, but, and, but he would be very specific about, well, look at how the feathers are on this bird. And so it really kind of started into more than just, oh, I saw a bird outside. I could identify birds as a kid. And then you know, high school, you get busy and I kind of was distracted from that stuff. And then when I bought my first house in my early twenties, the first thing I did was I went and bought a bird bath and a bird feeder and started really watching the birds in my yard. And I think what really made me like officially a birder was growing up in Wisconsin, we had black capped chickadees. And so I put out my bird feeder and a chickadee showed up and I'm listening and watching. And I thought, gosh, this chickadee has a Southern accent. And so I get my little book and I'm looking up cause I'm trying to figure out, do, would it sound different in a different area and learned that it was in fact a Carolina chickadee and not a black cap chickadee. And so then I was like, Oh, well, what else is different and what else is the same? And I started really actively pursuing the birds and trying to learn what was new and different here where I lived. Well, that's really cool. So what does a day of birding look like for you? Um, a, a typically somewhat casual, you know, get an early start to catch the early birds. And um, it, here where I live, there's a lot of parks and uh, like Texas Parks and Wildlife Properties. 
not so much like public lands, but just state park properties. And so, you know, go into the park and walk the trails and look at the birds. The city that I live in has put a river trail along the Guadalupe River. And so I spend a lot of time birding down there. And that's been really nice. And then, you know, get hungry, need a snack, go eat lunch. And I'm usually then I need a nap and I'm kind of done. When I'm traveling, it's a lot more intense, you know, because I'm trying to get everything that I can from the destination I'm in. So then it's like sun up to sundown birding. Yeah, I get that. Um, you got to maximize your time when you're <laughs> when you're off work, right? Yes. So uh, what's influenced your birding the most? Um, honestly, just kind of the adventure of it. Even in my own backyard, going birding is also the opportunity to see a new animal or see, learn a new plant, meet a new person. And so the, the idea of it being adventure in everyday life is what has really kept, got me, kept me going in birding. Yeah, I really like that. It, it really is different every time you go out. Like you said, you might meet somebody new or see something different that's it's not necessarily a bird, but, you know, it gives you a little bit of a different experience than the last time you go. Yes. So what's it like to be a female birder in your area? Um, in Where I live in Central Texas overall pretty good. My personal experiences have been very good and I've reached out to other women in our community and um, I think in general very good here where there's a lot of women birders here in my community and I think that really helps because the more you're seen and the more you're heard the more acceptable it is. The few times that I felt rejection from other birders have been more like age related or they don't like my pink hair and tattoos or something like that. But in general, I felt very safe in my area and, you know, an average day of birding here around Kerrville, I'll see more women birders than I will see men. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I know most other people don't have that kind of experience. So that's really cool that you, you have the visibility yeah. of other women out there. We're, we're aware that that's a very fortunate situation. Even in other parts of Texas, it's not the same. And so we're, we know that we're very fortunate here. Yeah, I, I lived in Houston for a handful of years. And I <laughs> I would see, like, sometimes groups of women, like, come through and bird. But it was usually, like, the same, like, five men would come to the park that I worked at. And it was just kind of like, oh, uh, you know, the old guys coming through. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we joke about the the old man Houston birder club. <laughs> I know it very well. <laughs> so what advice do you have for other women birders? I think really just that be visible, reach out to other women. When you see a new face, uh, you know, introduce yourself and tell them, Hey, if you're not comfortable going somewhere, we can put together a group and we can go together or, you know, just, you know, making it known that it's okay to be out there. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so I guess that kind of leads into my next question, but what can we do as more experienced women birders to be supportive and foster other birders? Yeah, I guess 
kind of, it's a kind of same answer there. Um, because that, you know, it does extend to more than just other women. You know, if you see somebody with, you know, disabilities, how can I help you make this more accessible or any person that may not feel safe and included, you know, reach out to them and say, how can I help you to feel more, to feel more safe in this community and putting together groups that focus on not just the birding experience, but the group experience for birding. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really important that, you know, not everybody gets is the, the community aspect of birding, like those, old men who are just like going through the park on their own, they don't necessarily realize, you know, that there's this amazing community that can, you know, be a great resource too, and they can help out with. Right. Yeah. You know, it's always really fun and exciting to see, you know, get that life bird, but it's also really fun to share that. And the more that you share, the more others will share with you. And so it, it really is a whole community effort And so by reaching out and making things more inclusive to everybody benefits everybody. Definitely. So do you feel that you found your place in the birding community? That was the hardest question on this. Um, Kind of. I, I don't feel like I fit a specific role in the birding community whether it's my specific or as a whole, but I'm very happy with my birding journey. And, you know, how I bird and where I bird and when I bird is it's a very personal experience for everybody. Everybody doesn't have to do it the same. And so I'm happy with where I do, but I really don't feel like I fill a specific role in the birding community. Okay. Well, is there, there's some role you'd like to fill eventually? Are you, you good with, uh, with not filling a role? Um, for a long time, I really thought I'd like to get into guiding and I've done a little like leading bird walks and I'm not good at it. And I don't know if that's a skill that could be built or if I need to, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that if I'm not instantly good at something, I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those that do I need to step back and be like, just because you weren't good the first time, you should try it again. Or, you know, now I've kind of, after traveling to Colombia so much, I would really love to go live in Colombia and have like a, a small eco lodge or something. And then, you know, facilitate for local guides to come and lead groups out of there kind of a thing. But getting from point A to point B isn't always that easy. Well, that's an amazing aspiration though, you know, and, um, we're, we're hoteliers, Eric and I are. And so that's kind of been my dream too, is to do that sort of thing, like provide a facility. And so I think a lot of people don't necessarily think of that because they're like, Oh, I want to be the guide or I want to, you know, host the podcast or write the book or whatever. But I think like those eco lodges are just a totally overlooked part of the community that that are valued but not you know people don't necessarily aspire to be that person so yeah I mean I would love to help you with that if you ever need help (laughs) well and that's I've seen a whole niche like in Central and South America a lot of the 
a lot of the existing lodges, and this is has changed significantly in like the year or two before COVID, but a lot of the existing lodges that were there were focused on the higher end birding clientele. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're the ones that are the ten thousand dollar tours and very fancy accommodations, but there's an entire larger market of birders out there that can't afford to do those kinds of tours and don't necessarily need the high-end amenities. As long as we're safe and comfortable, that's what we need. And so seeing there are more places coming up that I've seen and have stayed at a few, and they're absolutely incredible places. It's more basic and simple accommodations, but you're also getting a, a bigger taste at what the the local life is there which for me is part of the traveling as much as I love to go and see the birds and the wildlife. I also want to see the local culture and that kind of things. And so I see how these smaller places are really filling a much needed market. Yeah. And I think, you know, that also has to do with changing tastes too. You know, our, the younger generations are more invested in like the community that they're visiting. So I think, or I hope that, you know, we'll move towards having more locations like that, that that benefit the communities at a higher level than other lodges used to do. Yes. <laughs> so um, what has been your most memorable bird or birding experience? You know, it's, it's really, I don't really have one. There's just so many little things, you know, like waiting at a stakeout in the bird comes in and you're just like oh my gosh that was so cool but then little unexpected moments like it's pouring down rain in the rainforest and there's a song run right in front of us and it is just singing away and we're drenched standing in the pouring rain just watching this little bird put on a concert for us or you know a lot of those little moments are really what stand out to me more than you know, the harpy eagle, which was amazing. But I think I, I hold on to the those littler moments more than like I don't have like one big epic birding moment. <laughs> no defining thing like that. <laughs> well and you know, birding is made up well, for some people birding is made up of those little moments. I know. I think about the swings and thrushes. Like that's my birding thing that I always think about that brings me back to it is just, you know, those, those overlooked things that don't get the huge attention of a harpy eagle. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you hope to see in the birding future? More, more people, more diversity, more education, more conservation, you know, uh, birding and conservation go hand in hand. If we don't take care of these places and these species and take care of the people who take care of them, we won't have them. And, you know, having more people that are excited about it and educated about it and devoted to birding and conservation is very exciting. So I don't, I don't really like children they kind of freak me out a little bit but I love seeing in the field like kids that are excited about 
birding and parents that include their children in these kinds of activities, because that really, you know, the old myth that birding was for old retired people, like that's not true. And the more that we see and encourage these young people to stay with it and grow with it, the more that we'll have. Well, that's awesome. So what is, what has been the most valuable thing that you've learned from birding? Um, I think just learning the urgency of conservation. My grandfather was a naturalist in like knowing what things were, but it wasn't until, I mean, even just a few years ago that I really started learning how important the conservation side of this all was. And I think it's something that a lot of people, especially people who aren't in it, don't understand just how important it is. And so that's been a very valuable takeaway for me. And it's helped me to make other decisions in all parts of my life, like cutting out um, single use plastics and things like that have been really important to me. Well, it's amazing to hear how birding has, has shaped your life other than just, you know, travel and, and what you do in your free time. So if people want to find out more about you and the, the cool things that you do, how would they do that? Um, Instagram. <laughs> I, my Instagram is a bird between flights and I'm always open to, if you want to send me a message and ask me questions, I'm very open to having conversations um, you know, there is no such thing as a stupid question. I've had people say, you know, well, what's that bird? I feel dumb asking you. No, that's not dumb. Like, ask me, come on. And so I'm, I'm always happy to talk and share with people what my experiences are about the birds. You know, I'm not a biologist. I'm not college educated, but as much as I know, I'm happy to share it with people. And if it's, if you ask me a question, I don't know, let's learn it together. I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Crystal, for joining me for this podcast and sharing with all of us your experiences that you've had in birding. And I, I look forward to seeing about your next Columbia trip. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. So thank you, Crystal, for joining me for this episode. It was so much fun to learn about you and your epic travels. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. You can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on socials, you can follow me at Hannah Goes Burning on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.